Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. folks. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Truths Be Told, the podcast. It's the storytelling comedy podcast that you know and love that's recorded right here in downtown Toronto, Canada. And it's recorded by your host, yours truly, me, Lindsay Mullen. Hi. Welcome to the show. Every episode we have a theme, and we get true stories by fascinating people. Uh, and those stories revolve around that particular theme. And this episode, I've been waiting to tackle this topic. I'm very excited about this theme. The theme is money. Money, 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 money. Yes, the root of all evil. Money makes your wallet fat. It can also... You know, make your wallet skinny if you're spending it too much. Money, we think, makes us happier when we have it. But really, is it making us more unhappy? Think about that, guys. That's what we're tackling in this episode. Um, you know, this podcast, I had always hoped would make me some money. But it hasn't. I have only lost money making this podcast. I am in the negative by quite a few hundred dollars making this podcast. But I don't regret it because it pays me in other ways. I feel like it pays me in purpose. I feel like I have a real sense of purpose and connection with other people when making this catalog of stories. So it's all good. It would be nice if I had money. Everyone keeps saying, Lindsay, make a Patreon account. I'm lazy. I, I don't know. I just haven't gotten around to doing something like that. But here's a, here's a great example of what I kind of want to talk about when it comes to wealth. Because I don't think wealth is just um, measured by money or monetary value. Uh, wealth is measured in other ways. I feel very wealthy because of this podcast. Case in point, um, I'm creating a show called Tease, which is a burlesque variety show. It will be at the Next Stage Theater Festival in January 2020. I'm very excited. I'm in rehearsals right now. And I have a tight budget. Me and my producing team are, are, are real tight with that budget. And I needed to make a poster that looked slick. And because of this podcast, I was able to be in touch with someone who is a professional graphic designer who listens regularly to this show. And uh, they're very talented. And they made me a poster for my show. And they're amazing. And they did it for free. Uh, 
they just reached out in my direct messages on Instagram and uh, they helped me out. And I said, I can't believe you're doing this for free. And they basically said, is it for free? I listen to your podcast every single episode. You create it for free and I listen to it while I work. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So that made me feel great. And um, that person's name is Skylar Theot. Is it Theot? Skylar, I just want to say to you, you live in Texas. You have never met me. And I want to take this moment to thank you on the podcast for making such an amazing poster for my show. Guys, hire this guy. Seriously, get work done by him. Go to SkylarInDallas.com and reach out to him if you need some, some beautiful graphics created. The guy's great. So thank you, Skylar. Um, all right. Let's talk about money. Money. Guys, I have an amazing story about money that I've been waiting to tell for so long. It was how I learned about capitalism. I was 11. I was 11 years old when I truly got a hard lesson in capitalism. So I went to an elementary school in Calgary called Eugene Cost Elementary School. And in grade six, I was 11. It was the final year of elementary school before going to a different school for junior high. And there were three grade six classes. And one of the grade six teachers was new that year, not mine, but a different class. And she came from a different school and she had this whole big plan to motivate the students. And uh, she got the other two teachers on her side and she said, I have this great system from my last school called Funny Money. And it's this fake form of tender, this paper, colorful, it looks like Monopoly money. It had like a picture of someone's face with curly hair and like googly eyes. It looked really stupid. And it was in different colors, in different denominations, you know, 10s, 20s, 50s, 100s. And she printed it out and said to the teachers, I have found that by rewarding the students with funny money when they do their homework or get their agenda signed or what have you, they do better in school. It gives them incentive. It gives them purpose. And it teaches them the value of money and saving. Now... This all seems innocent and fun and maybe even a bit smart of an idea. But I'm going to tell you, this teacher unleashed a capitalist hell on our grade six year that took up the whole year that caused so much damage. And what was so amazing about this little weird social experiment that she did is that all the pitfalls of capitalism actually happened. Like she pretty much tore apart the entire sixth grade by adding money into the mix. It corrupted everything. This is an amazing story. Okay, so, so she brought in the money and all three teachers were like, great, we're going to introduce this money idea and we're going to set up an entire like society. Now, there's three classes, right? Three teachers, three very different teachers. Some are bigger disciplinarians than the others. 
some are softies, all very different. So what's amazing is it was almost as if the three classes were three different countries and each teacher hadn't agreed with the other teachers about how much each good deed was worth. So they hadn't decided if um, doing your book report was worth $100 funny money or $5,000 funny money. But it was as if there was a massive wealth disparity going on between the classes immediately. Um, our labors were worth different amounts. Um, and so it started getting applied, these rules about money, to pretty much everything. You know, if you had to write in your agenda your homework, we had to have our parents do a little signature every evening to show that they had seen what our homework was. So they knew what was going on at school. And if you had your agenda signed by your parent, you got some money. You show up on time, you got some money. You, uh, you do your book report, you get some money, right? But it also worked the other way. You would be punished if you didn't do something. So if you didn't get your agenda signed, you would lose funny money. You would be taxed and fined. And um, this was fascinating because it truly did impact the work ethic of people in our class. But because it's capitalism, it also didn't acknowledge the, um, you know, the fact that we are not all created equal. We all have different struggles and challenges and different home lives and families and different um, uh, emotional issues or even um, mental issues. One person in my class, he struggled quite a bit actually. And um, I think he had some issues with learning and confidence around that. And he started like not getting his homework assignments in. And before he knew it, he was losing funny money constantly. Like he was getting fined thousands and suddenly he was in debt. He was like a, like 50,000 funny money in debt to our teacher while the rest of the class has money. He has no money. And the more he began to not make money and the more money he lost, the more um, he felt hopeless to the point where he didn't even try anymore. Just like real life. It's like you get this homeless poverty mindset and then you, you give up and you just kind of fall apart. Like, what's the point? I'm so in debt. Um, and what happened was the teacher saw that this wasn't actually helping him do better. It was actually making it worse for him. Um, and so she made an executive decision after chatting with him privately. And at some point she cleared his debt, just went right back to zero. And, you know, I thought this is a good idea. Help him help someone who is struggling. Um, give him a shot. And what happened, of course, though, is the rest of the class is divided on the issue. All the other kids found out and some kids felt like sorry for him and yeah, give, give the guy a break. Other kids in my class were like, 
Well, I had to pull myself up by my Velcro running shoe straps. He should too. And so it became this massive divide of like conservative and liberal or like Democrat and Republican in the class. Uh, everyone was divided on the issue and kids were fuming. There were kids that were so mad because they were like, I got my agenda signed. I do my hard work. You know, no one's giving handouts to me. It was crazy. Meanwhile, the other classes are like billionaires, while some of us are, are, are barely, barely making any money. And you're probably wondering, what was the point of the money? What could you even purchase? Why did we even care? Well, that's a great question. And uh, this is what was sold to us, this idea. They said at the end of the school year, on the last day of school in June, we would have the Funny Money Fair. And at the Funny Money Fair, we could all bring in things like, I don't know, you could make homemade chocolate chip cookies, or you could bring in stickers or crafts or just cool stuff you owned from home that you didn't want anymore, and you could sell it to each other. So on the last day, there was a big market, and we all take our funny money and buy stuff from each other on the last day of school. Uh, and we all didn't really clue into the obvious problem with that is that an hour after the, f the market had taken place, school would be over and the money was useless. Like there had been some sort of economic collapse. We could take all our money and shovel it into like a fire. <laughs> like it, it made zero sense, but we were stoked. We were 11 and we were like, I can't wait for this fucking funny money fair so I can make it rain, colorful bills, and get chocolate chip cookies that I could have just got at home from my mom. We were so excited. But like I said, this uh, economic system, this capitalist system had already sunk its teeth into the hearts and minds of these children and the whole class all three classes became unhinged a bit. Uh, some problems rose up. More than just that little boy in my class, um, it, it, the problems went all the way to the schoolyard. So, you know, I would hear stories about uh, one of the kids in the rich class who had a ton of money paying funny money to kids in my class, a poor class, um, to do their homework. Like, I'll give you 5,000 funny money to write my um, social studies paper. <laughs> and that would happen. I also heard someone had a deal that went sour involving a gumball machine. Somebody had like some gumballs and a plastic gumball machine and they tried to sell it and it became a whole thing. I also heard of people saying, oh my God, this paper that we're using for the funny money that the teacher used can be purchased at the store Staples. I should just go buy more of that paper and I should make counterfeit funny money. That was a whole thing, side business coming up. Yeah, someone stealing funny money. It became like, there was like a black market for homework and things like that for funny money. It was, it was corruption at its finest. And, um, also, 
it just makes such sense to me that this happened. It makes perfect sense. Of course, in a city like Calgary, a super conservative uh, city in Alberta, that that's where this took place. With a teacher thinking, of course, capitalism is the ultimate thing we should be teaching children. Not empathy, not um, how to help someone when they're down, but the best motivator is money, winners and losers. And the amazing thing about this is this teacher, I don't think she had any sort of sense of the irony of this situation. I don't think she even saw this as a chance to teach kids about the pitfalls of uh, capitalism. I don't think she saw any of the other layers. I think she literally just thought, this is a great idea because this is how the world works. And I'm sure all those kids who did not have any pity for that kid that was in debt in my class, no doubt did they all go into oil industry in Calgary, no doubt, I'm sure of it, um, or became like staunch conservatives. I just saw the, the beginnings of, of, of how evil money is. And if you're curious, because, you know, actually you're probably not, but I just want to tell you, um, I, I came up with, with the help of my dad, uh, a very smart idea for what I should sell at the funny money fair. Because I knew it was just gonna be a bunch of bake sales. And I thought, how can I make the most money at the funny money fair? Keep in mind, it was the year 2000 or 2001. And um, digital cameras were still big and clunky and not everyone had one. My family had a big clunky digital camera. And my dad said, why don't you spend the last month or two of school at recess taking photos of all your classmates on the digital camera and then burn them to CDs, because that's what you did back then. And then on the day of the Funny Money Fair, you can sell like a digital yearbook to all your classmates and you can charge a bunch of money for them. So that's what I did. I spent like the last month or two taking pictures of everyone and everyone remembered me walking around taking pictures and I was like okay I'm gonna sell this at the funny money fair and it's gonna be great and I did I think I sold them for like six thousand dollars a CD and I remember when the fair was happening I was surrounded by cookies and bake sales and uh, all the stalls for all three classes were open at once so all three classes could intermingle for the fair and kids from the rich class came over to me and said, you're only charging $6,000 per CD. You know, you could charge $50,000 per CD and you'd still sell them out because everyone in our class would buy them because these were selling like hotcakes, guys. Um, and I remember thinking, yeah, but if I sold each CD for 50000 nobody in my class could afford one. And then that kid said to me, so who cares? Anyways, it, I think that's the day I realized I'm an artist is I was like, but what about feelings? Who needs money? We can pay our rent on hugs. 
that's where I uh, became such a bleeding heart was probably that day. Anyways, so we had the big fair. We sold all our stuff, got really excited to hold all this money that we'd made from our, our big fair, and then suddenly realized it was worth fucking nothing. And we're now going to junior high school and we're all going to have our periods and get a bunch of zits and life's about to get awful. Uh, and that, that's the story of how I discovered capitalism as a child. Pretty crazy, right? It's insane. Ah, that teacher, I really didn't like her. I think that was a fucking disaster. It was a fucking disaster. Um, guys, if she had been smarter, she would have been like the person that invented the game Monopoly. Do you guys know that story? I'll quickly tell you. The person that invented Monopoly was a woman who was communist in the early 1900s, I believe. You'll have to fact check me. I'm probably making mistakes here. But uh, she invented the game. And the reason she invented it was because she was very anti-capitalist and she wanted to uh, teach kids a lesson about how capitalism is about big winners and big losers and how it's unfair. But what happens is she, of course, sold the game for something tiny, like 20 bucks or something insanely small to Parker Brothers. Again, fact check me. I'm not 100% sure. But she sold the game to Parker Brothers. And then it became, I think, the best-selling board game of all time. So it became the ultimate ad for capitalism. Like, there's no irony in it. There's no, like lesson people play it thinking capitalism's great you just play it for like four hours and then you're taxing your sibling and then you all hate each other but now it's like an ad for capitalism okay so that's all i have to say about money fascinating stuff you know fuck the funny money just make friends that's all i have to say about grade six time for the quote of the episode the quote today is by theater and film producer Mike Todd. Mike Todd, though, is more famously known for being uh, one of the many husbands of Elizabeth Taylor. And he died tragically in a plane crash while married to Elizabeth Taylor. And... His best friend, Eddie Fisher, then went to go comfort Elizabeth Taylor, which caused the whole Eddie Fisher leaving Debbie Reynolds thing. Huge scandal. Oh my God. Craziness. Rest in peace, Mike Todd. But before he died, he said this quote. I've never been poor, only broke. Being poor is a frame of mind. Being broke is only a temporary situation. I think this is a great way to think. I really do. Smart guy. I like that quote. All right, let's jump into this episode and meet some of our guests. Hello, I'm sitting with Ken Hall. 
Ken Hall is an improviser and an actor and someone in the Toronto comedy scene. He's also had great success. He's uh, He was on People of Earth. What, what was your character on People of Earth? Jeff the Grey. Jeff the One Grey. One of the big, sort of uh, big-headed, grey, iconic aliens. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And you were, you're also on Umbrella Academy. I am, yeah. I play the body of Pogo uh, in season one. I also got to do a little cameo uh, and play an actual person, and uh, his name was Herb. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is so exciting. Okay, so you've <laughs> you've you've gotten some big gigs. Those yeah. Are some big gigs. It's been a pretty uh, amazing last few years. Yes, and before that, everyone in Toronto who's in mm-hmm. comedy knows you as being one half of Two Man No Show, That's which right. is a improv duo with you and Isaac Kessler. That is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which actually, just last week, we celebrated our unofficial 10-year anniversary. You guys have been performing for 10 years? Two Man No Show, yeah. It was uh, uh, Toronto Fringe 2009 wow. when we first started, yeah. Okay, wow. So that's, yeah. It's pretty That's wild. good. That's like a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you are on the show today to talk about money. That's right. And you have such a unique perspective <laughs> because you did end up getting some good gigs, which... <laughs> You don't have to tell me, but I imagine they paid some nice money. Uh, well, I don't me. live by two parks here. But, yeah. <laughs> oh yes, uh, we're we're. I live by two parks. <laughs> That's what he's referring to. One's bigger than the other, so if you're kind of like, oh, I just want to, I'm in the mood for a little, you know, smaller kind of. Park I want a today. small park. I want yeah. a big park. Yeah, I live quite the life with all my roommates. Um, anyways, Ken. Yes. Tell me your story okay. about money. Okay, great. Uh, so my story of money will started uh, quite a few years ago. I was actually because my my money story involves a lot of debt <laughs> and oh. how I incurred that. So the cool thing was when I was in my twenties, I didn't work. So I that's the, the cool thing. I, well, I, I didn't have any debt, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so okay. it's like it's great. <laughs> you know, I played in a punk band and and uh, didn't a have punk a band. I played in a punk band, yeah. For like six years, I played drums, and I can't see it now, but I'm showing showing Lindsay my animal tattoo of Animal from the Muppets. That's right. Oh my God, it's on his arm. That's great. (laughs) It's on my arm. That is true. Uh, So I I didn't really do a lot in my twenties per se, and and it was only um, uh, my late twenties I decided to go back to school, and I went to school to become an employment counselor. So I signed up for the career and work counselor program at George Brown College. Yeah. Like a guidance counselor? No, 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 a career counselor. Isn't that the same thing? Uh, guidance counselors are, I, I guess there's some overlap for for me anyway with like a career counselor. It's really helping people. Uh, oh. I was working in like non-for-profits uh, generally, working oh. with people with multiple barriers to employment, mental oh. health, addictions, poverty, stuff like that, to help people get more sort of job ready uh, in that okay, sense. Okay, that's so, more official than what I'm picturing. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't working with like in high, high schools schoolers. or anything like that, which I suppose there is like an overlap right like um so uh yeah my thing was like okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna actually start a career and <laughs> see if i'll be any good at that but in my first so this happens at george brown i think it happens pretty much in every single college possibly university as well is that within that first month there's all these uh opportunities to sign up for credit cards so people oh, yeah. are and it's like they're really present hey, you want like you sign up for us you know you get this kind of thing you get this gift you get this gift so there it's a business mm-hmm. and so for me i'd never had a credit card before 
And uh, so I'm like, great. If you want to give me a credit card. How old were you? Uh, I was probably 30, I think. And you were like, yes, I'd like a credit well, card. Well, I'm 30 now, so I feel like I have to have a credit card, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> and it felt like, oh, man, I think I'm partially an adult now, you know? Like, uh, And so I got it, and, and, and I started to use it. And I was a student. I was on OSAP uh, at that time. Uh, I was still working part-time at HMV. Uh, but really not making a lot of money whatsoever. And uh, then I graduated uh, and then I, I started working as an employment counselor. I worked in that field for about 10 years actually. And in that time, um, I, I, I was never really good with money because I never had money before. And Did when you grow up like... Scottish. With- I grew up Scottish. That's Take racing cheap? <laughs> well, my parents are both Scottish, and my dad's from Glasgow. My mom's from the southwest of Scotland called Kakubri, a very small village. If you Google map it, it's literally two roads that oh, kind of wow. come together. So it's very small. Um, but they were always raised to be very frugal, and, and mm-hmm. my upbringing, we would... We were... Me and my brother were never spoiled. We were never like, Daddy, I want this. And we were like, well, good luck with that. You know, you're not going to get that. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's fine. That's how they were raised in, in that sense. So, you know, we would have an allowance. Uh, it was all very, uh, yes. you know, like you got to kind of earn earn it in that sure. sense, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, so then, as I said, in my 20s, I didn't really work. I was dealing with some uh, anxiety and depression. I was just not job ready. And I was, like, living with my friends. And we just partied all the time and tried to make music and and uh, so this was a, 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 the start of, of me to begin to like manage my money. And I started working in the field of employment counseling. And I was making, I'm like, wow, this is so much money. However, I was also paying rent. And half of my paycheck was going to rent. So I just never actually put together a, bu- a budget or anything. And, uh, but I kept spending. I kept like, oh, this is great, you know, thinking oh, that I had no. much more money than I'm like this. Than I did. I think I, well, that's the thing. I think everyone falls into that trap, right? And with interest and things like that, it just and you're like, I'll oh, worry about next month. I'll oh, worry about next year. And it just it just keeps piling up and getting to the point where I'm like, I'm not even going to look at my uh, at my it's at stressful the bills. to look at. It's it. so stressful. And I'm, I, I, I don't know, there's probably a coping mechanism on my part, but I, I always tend to like undervalue, I think, what I owe. So I'm like, oh, it's probably not that bad. It's actually twice as bad. It's worse, you know. And uh, I, I had that credit card for, uh, I think, like a good 10 years and just kept, you know, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. How bad did it get? Oh, it gets bad. It gets bad to the point. So I'll fast, uh, I'll fast forward here to... Uh, the moment where I'm like, I hit my rock bottom with financial stuff. And I, I, I had just gotten back from doing a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And I, during that 10 days, it's a very vegetarian, vegan sort of diet and very strict. And it was good. It's very healthy food. But I had these cravings for like, oh man, I just want to have a Tim Hortons breakfast sandwich, you know? So the program ends like seven or eight in the morning on a Sunday first thing I'm like I want to go back I just want to get a Tim Hortons uh, like tea and a breakfast sandwich and I went to pay for it with my credit card and they're like no sorry it's just whatever reason it's not going I'm like well let's try it again and it's, it still wasn't going through and then I went home so I didn't get my breakfast sandwich which really or maybe I had cash on me I think I did like a few bucks so I was able to get my breakfast sandwich but it's not about breakfast sandwiches it's about the letter that was at home and I opened it and it said that I owed 15 plus thousand dollars oh my god and i was not 
working <laughs> oh <laughs> job my God. right I, I I was actually in my life at that point I was teaching improv I was doing a lot of coaching and uh, I was working um, in employment counseling but the job that I was in I was actually working at George Brown the program that I was in got refunded and restructured so in essence in some ways I was an unemployed career counselor who had fifteen some odd thousand dollars to pay? Oh my God, fifteen thousand dollars in debt! I'm so stressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hearing this, it is terrifying. The feeling I remember that feeling. It's such a visceral, vice-like feeling in your stomach, and it's a holistic stress. Like everything that you say and do, you're walking. You know, you're having conversations with people, but in the back of your mind, you're like, ah, like there is this always present, and it got so bad to the point that. Uh, after that, I'm like, I had to, you know, I had to have that conversation with my parents to be like, I'm in trouble and I think I need to declare bankruptcy. And, oh my God. Yeah. And you know, my, my parents are pretty cool in those kind of crisis situations. So my dad helped me work out a budget and we were starting that. I, I was starting to, I was going to try and do the budget thing first before I was going to declare bankruptcy, but that's where I was at. So I was rock bottom and stressed out and I had no... There was nothing in on the horizon to be like, okay, I'm going to say, you know, like this is going to come up and going to change things. There was nothing. There's nothing. Oh, God. So, oh God. but the story has a good... There's a happy there's turn. There's a happy turn. Happy turn. So not too long after that, actually, uh, I had an, uh, an audition for a TV show. It was a pilot uh, for a TV show called The Group, which was later to become People of Earth. It was called The Group originally? The group. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm because... glad they did punch up on that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was a vague name in the world. The Group. The Group, yeah. <laughs> Tells me nothing. Yeah. Hey, do you want to watch The Group? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. What's, uh, what else is that? Uh, so you're right, you're right. Dude. But it was a working title. People and... of Earth is a great title. It is. It's a light I out. love that title. Yeah, when I heard that rename, I was like, that's great. That's a real, this is going to be a great show. And it, and it was. And it was with uh, Greg Daniels, who created The Office, The American Office, and King and of Norm the Hill. And Norm Hiscock, who yeah, was on our Norm. show. He oh. was on the Comedy Writer episode. He was the showrunner of that, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we get everyone. Oh, Norm's great. He didn't mention it was called The Group. <laughs> well, I'm trying to give you all the backstory here. And uh, I, I'm trying to cover the stuff that Norm left out. So, uh, hi, Norm. Hi, Norm. Norm. Hey. Hi, we're we're we, both looking at the we're microphone We're right both now. waving, waving at a podcast <laughs> microphone. Hi, Norm. Okay, anyways. Um, so I had an audition uh, for this uh, to play this character called Jeff the Grey. And, uh, you know, things are so serendipitous. It was honestly like I, I started working with an acting coach literally two weeks before I got that audition. And I don't know if I would have gotten that role if I hadn't worked with my acting coach. That being said, um, I did the audition. It went re really well. I'm super, uh, super like off book and playful. And, and I could see this character and I'm like, I can do this. Then I had a call back and Greg Daniels was there. And oh my God. And that was great. It was like, right. You know, we did the script wow, a few Greg times. Greg Daniels. That's so crazy. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, let's, you know, let's improvise some premises. I'm like, you're on, let's do it. And, uh, so uh, longer story short, um, I ended up getting the part and, uh, within, so basically that six months, uh, of like, I think I'm going to declare bankruptcy because I literally have no money to a point where I'm like, I'm in, I'm now actually out of debt. Uh, and I'd also booked a Canadian national commercial around that same time, but it's just so remarkable and, and really strange just how quickly things can change. 
Now, uh, and just the nature of this industry. Well, I, I think that's uh, yeah. As as soon as I was saying that, I was like, I, I don't know if that's the same for everyone else who is uh, like not an actor, in that sense. And and um, we, it was it was kind of like winning the lottery, to be honest. And and to have a real dream gig. And there's so many great stories in our industry of that. I think even like mm-hmm. Matt LeBlanc from Friends had something like $11 in his pocket the week he booked yeah. Friends. Peter Dinklage eating, you know, ramen, like eating like Mr. Noodle type of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's really, I mean, this is They industry. keep me going. Those stories keep me going. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and because it's happened to me, I'm like, man, it can happen to anyone. You know, things really can change really quickly as well. And, and, uh actors in general i feel that there's a certain there's a a a real like emotional versatility to actors because it's like it's hard you're putting yourself out there for rejection all the time let alone having such financial instability is really scary um that being said you know if it's something that you feel that you really love and it's, it's something that's like inherently you then you know you gotta you gotta stay in that arena right you gotta keep you got to keep plugging. You got to keep uh, putting yourself out there, you know, creating your own content. And I've had moments in my life where I just say yes to this one small thing, but it germinates and turns into this wonderful yes. opportunity. I honestly think that's all success is, mm. is you do a hundred little things, right. 99% of them do nothing and they just happen and pass. And right. then one random little thing works out. Yeah, totally. Like but this it- podcast is a great example. There are things I've done to try and promote this podcast most of which went nowhere. And then a random email to one person suddenly put it on the front page of Apple Podcasts for a while. Nice. But how would I know that unless I did a hundred things that failed? Totally. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, that's a really awesome point that success is just a whole lot of failure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's the culmination of so much failure. And, and I, I, love, I love that. I love that uh, as a performer. Um, the idea of like doing comedy specifically and improv mm-hmm. of like, we have nothing prepared. Yeah. And this is stuff that me and Isaac do. We're like, this could go terribly bad. And we have like, well, but we'll fearlessly and playfully put it out there. And some of it's going to work. And it's like, wow, that's so cool. You know? And we got to like, lean on that some of it. Yeah. And we got to admit when we're failing and, and, and so that we can get better material, <laughs> and, you know, in that sense. And, uh, uh, but I, I feel like, Failure is a really good key to find success. I want to ask you, just as a closing thing on this, mm-hmm. um, you're a very uh, spiritually evolved person, I think. <laughs> I mean, the fact that you're currently to... levitating right yeah, now. You're yeah, you're levitating. Yeah. Oh, I wish you'd just use the couch. Um, you no need to take my shoes off. Right? <laughs> um, you like you go to re- meditation retreats. You've uh-huh. you've had your own demons. You've struggled with and done your best to acknowledge uh, your own issues to be a better person. And you've been very generous to me in my past. You you mm. hooked me up with my manager because oh, you gave me right. a good recommendation. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. I reached out to a lot of people. You're one of the only people that helped. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, you don't pull the ladder up once you reach the top, and that is a very <laughs> good thing in show business. Right. But right. what I want to ask you is, since you are very in touch with your emotions and your feelings and your intuition, um, do you find that money is something that that you feel driven by in, in an egoic sense? Or has money never really ruled you? Money's never really ruled me. Mm-hmm. 
Like, that's just not my hang-up. I have other ones. But, right. <laughs> but is money a hang-up for you, would you say? Uh, hmm. I, yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't feel like it's necessarily a hang-up. It's just I, I have now experienced that with money comes so many additional opportunities. Mm. And, um, and yeah, it's a, it's a funny industry. It's a, you know, you still, you know, I, I am on a show right now, but I'm also looking to like, where's the next thing? Like, where, how can I build this career? So for me, I'm like, at the end of the day though, I'm like, I just want to be happy. I want to be able to like, uh, I don't, I don't want to have those same fears and worries because I know what that's like and I've been there and I should be much better. And my parents are listening and I will try much better to budget my money, but I'm like, and that's got to start with me, right? But I, I understand, here's the thing. Uh, for me in much of my life, I feel like I'm a pioneer because I'm trying, I'm, I'm, everyone's like, oh, budget your money, you know, but I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it sounds like. And I haven't had anyone really kind of sit me down and, and really work me through that process and, and to deal with all like the minutia of like interest rates. Like it's just, it can, it, it comes up on you and we, you know, we're trying to just live our lives. It's but daunting. Yeah. It's so daunting. So it, it, for me, I guess I'm just trying to develop that as more of a life skill and to have more respect for that. And, and if, if I feel like I have more respect for like how I spend my money and where I put my energy and my time, I feel like that in, in a way is more, a more sort of holistic way of looking after myself. So money is important because, you know, I, I, I need a place to stay, you know, but yeah, I, I, it's practical, but you don't worship at the altar of it. No, I know. I know. I, I, yeah, I'm not like buying real estate or doing those kind of seminars or that type of stuff. I, for me, my, I think the end of the day for me, I, I want to leave the world a better place than when I entered it. And I want to help people and, and making people laugh being stupid on stage is my way of doing that and people saying oh thanks for being you know silly and stupid it's a wonderful reciprocal thing and we're also going to pay a bit of money uh for that i feel like that's a really cool trade-off well thank you for being on my podcast thank you you were lovely uh is there anything you'd like to promote Sure, I, I would love to promote The Umbrella Academy. It's a show it's on uh, that's on Netflix. Yeah. And, uh, Emily Pigford from the show yeah, was on yeah, this show as so well. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I like how our worlds, we have like people like Norm and oh, Emily yeah. that are... You and I, we collide in, in odd ways that's all the time. True. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're having a season two. They're having a season, uh, season two, yeah. Okay. So look... For that in <laughs> in the future. I love and... watching you try to promo this, but be very uh, <laughs> safe and make sure you do everything right. You're doing great. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Lindsay. Hello. Welcome to the panel discussion. Hello, Ooh. ladies. Hi. Hi. Hello. <laughs> um, this is definitely take one. Um, <laughs> this is the panel discussion all about money. Ooh. And I'm with Liz Johnston and Ruth Goodwin. Liz Johnston, you are an improviser, a comedian of sorts, like a sketch comedian, <laughs> right? Sorts. Yes, and an actor. Mm -hmm. And you perform a lot here in Toronto, especially at the Bad Dog Theatre Company. Yes. You're in a show like, uh, you're in shows like Hookup. Yes, hook up. That's a big, sexy improv show, right? A huge show. 
Yeah. It's always sold out. It's I can never out. see it. Yeah. And you're a big part of that and Thank a lot of other shows. Thank you. Uh, I'm also with Ruth Goodwin. Ruth Goodwin is on a show that is on Global. Global is the channel. <laughs> Don't mix it up. Not with CTV. any Not CTV. Global. Not CBC. Nope. Global. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the show is called Private Eyes. And it stars Jason Priestley. Remember him from 90210? Well, Ruth Goodwin is on it, and she's a reoccurring character. Who's your character? Uh, I play Detective Danica Powers. I'm a police officer. Oh, my God. You do not have the build of a police officer. (laughs) (laughs) You you have the build of uh, an actress playing a police officer on television. Yeah, I feel like I've played a lot of parts where I... um, I feel like I'm. I played a soccer player, an elite soccer player one time. I feel like parts where I'm like, oh, people would wish that I was stronger. I feel like I look like, uh, like people think or wish I was stronger. I don't know. You look great, and you're very Thank funny you. on the show. So, uh, good, great. You're very strong. I'm not. You're I watched strong. that. I watched that like like boxing video. Oh yeah, it's quite good. Oh, Thank you've you. been boxing in yeah, real life. I've taken up boxing. For the show or for well, recreational fun? Just for recreational fun, but I took it up actually when I was auditioning for Danica because I thought that she would be like better at boxing than I was. <laughs> and so uh, I went for a couple training sessions before I auditioned and I got like, I feel like it got me in the mindset of a cop. Oh, yeah. It's fun. You just like beat up this dummy. <laughs> he has a name, Ruth. It's Bob. <laughs> so we're talking about money today, because that was the discussion topic you guys were most inspired by. Yeah. Why is that? Liz, what's going on with you in the world of money? <laughs> um, I mean, first of all, it, it, the reason is because it was the alternative to loss. Yes. The choices were money and loss. Yes. Yeah, those are the topics I said, hey, I need a panel discussion on loss and I need one on money. And, um, so between money and loss, we chose money, Mm. but the two go hand in hand. They really do. Did you say, how often do you lose money? For me, it's a lot. Liz, did you just get a credit card? Is that what you said? Oh my God, I said I got a new credit card literally (laughs) in the mail today. Just before you got here, I was looking at it. So that's cute for me. Like, because you lost your old one. No, actually, you thank you for asking. (laughs) Thank you for asking, Lindsay, because usually that would be the case. I have lost... A couple of credit cards in my I just time. got a new debit card half an hour ago because I go. lose this shit constantly. They Are just you going to be right doing out. business expenses on one card and <gasps> so regular? That was, yes, that I was, was going to say human expenses. <laughs> human, my human expenses. Well, I did have that idea because my my mom, who uh, is a strategic consultant, uh, so does a lot of contract work as well, always taught like taught me early on that it was quite smart to do that. So because you know, as an actor. Lindsay, mm-hmm. you know this too, where it's like so much of the stuff you're doing, you write off because it's like this cab is the cab I took to get an audition to an audition that was a million mm-hmm. miles away, and then I had to go to another one, and then you know this is the like gift I bought for this friggin' yeah, oh movie like, tickets, creator like movie stubs, movie research. Stubs. So you can much. claim it as research on your taxes. Of course, you can claim so much, and you should. Like we really should, because so much of our lives really are like every bit that we're doing is. A part of networking. Anyway, so I've talked about a lot how I I like this idea, and now that you've said it, I forgot that that was my plan was to have a credit card where you could put all of your kind of business expenses, etc., on one. Oh, that's smart. That keeps it really clean. Oh my and god, then, I never thought of that. I know, and then have the secondary <sighs> credit card, which is like when you go out to the bar and you want to put a tab or whatever it is. That's that's your credit card. That's your money. But if it's like you know your day to day 
uh, life, whether it's auditions or shows or what have you, then you can definitely just put that all on. Now, were you comfortable um, getting a big limit on your card? Because I, they keep offering me a bigger limit and I say no. I and they say, say no. why? And I say, because I don't trust me. Yeah. I don't, I also, it's such an easy thing for credit card companies to do where it's like, well, we've just given you more cre-. It's such a, It's an obvious lead to be like no no it's fine it's good we trust you here have you know twenty thousand dollars out of nowhere and you're like absolutely not all you're doing is asking someone to run up exorbitant debt because i also because actually the new credit card i got was because it had better air miles wow that's a sign that you're in your 30s thank you so much is it an aventura card it's actually not and i know it's not the best card and there's going to be some haters out there they're going to be saying stuff when they say what it when i say what it is but it's a world elite mastercard so it's like but it's like because i was already collecting air miles which i know is not the best thing to collect credit card wise there's many other good options but i just booked a flight using air miles for the first time and felt great about it oh and was like i'm gonna just ante up so the the what i get air miles wise for every like ten dollars i spend is quite good so i'm feeling and i like traveling so i'd rather have someone think call me crazy i'm more of an aeroplan points girl myself Guys, we have, this makes it sound like we're like sponsored by something. <laughs> you guys are so, you guys are. <laughs> you don't know about Ruth, the Aeroplan spokesperson versus know. Liz. The I work at Global TV and for Aeroplan points. Yeah, yeah. I collect Aeroplan as well. I like Aeroplan, except you can only use them on Air Canada. That's true. So. Air Canada, which is. The truth be told, preferred era. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I don't. And we don't have any sponsorships right now. Oh. Uh, Just picturing the new photo of that, like you, a cute photo of you with truth be told and an airplane over your face. <laughs> like, wow. Uh, Ruth, mm-hmm. are you good with money, mm-hmm. or are you a bit of a scatterbrain? <laughs> I am both a bit of a scatterbrain, and. I'm okay with money. I can make a small amount of money last a long time. Um, But I have found, since I've entered into a long-distance relationship this year... Congratulations. Thank you. That my money, I don't know where it went. It goes to data. It goes to flights and... It's it's hard because I have these like I keep talking about flights, but the flights are really the only like real luxury I spend on. I like outside of like food, rent, like the stuff you mm-hmm. need, mm-hmm. Uh, and like dental stuff, I Ugh. guess. Like, but outside of those things, I my treats are travel. So, but yeah, I so I have like travel alerts for where he lives and then also like if we were he does like work in England sometimes so if we were to go there I just have to see because a flight from Toronto to Calgary is basically the same price as a flight to England half which the time. is absurd that's crazy. crazy so you would say though mostly you're good with money oh yeah that was the question wasn't ah, it um well, Ruth has um a dual degree oh yeah that's right I have a I have a a double major in drama and economics. So I really, yeah, yeah. So I did learn a bit about economics. I took some classes on taxes and stuff when I was in school. Not that I retained a lot of it, but I'm pretty good with money. Uh, it's hard. As soon as I have money, I sometimes I'm getting better at putting it away. Mm. Yeah, 
Um, an interesting thing I heard recently is that women women uh, stereotypically have to face more challenges uh, with money things because we're not raised in a culture that allows us to feel comfortable with with having money. So, mm. like, uh, there are courses you can take to teach you to be better at um, uh, negotiating mm. as a woman. True. Uh, because yeah. a lot of women sometimes say that they have trouble negotiating the way that men seem to easily negotiate. Do you find this is true for you? I find I'm awful at negotiating. Uh, I actually find I have gotten better. A lot of that because of Ruth. <laughs> really? Who is, actually, who is actually an extremely talented negotiator and very good at saying what she wants. and is And we've had so many conversations to this exact point of... What if I were a man in this situation, would I be behaving differently? And the answer is ninety nine point nine percent of the time, yes. Mm. So I do, and I think we've we've grown up with very strong mothers, with very strong like we went to a, a all girls school, like very strong female role models throughout our lives. So I do think that that plays a part in it, and that's a great privilege to have. But uh, I I do find I'm I've gotten better at just kind of saying, well, what's what can you do for me? What's is there anything better that we can have happen here? And if you, this is my, the tool I've learned from just kind of in basic day-to-day transactional stuff. Mm -hmm. If you say, is there anything else you can do for me? And then say nothing else. (gasps) Yes. They have to respond. Oh, also just staring at someone and counting. My dad told me, do that when you're buying a car. Is you just, you just, someone will say the first price Mm. and then you just stare and count down from 30 in your head and don't say anything. And people get so uncomfortable with the silence. Yeah, it's it's just basically a status maneuver. That's you're fabulous. just supposed to stand and wait, and people can't handle it. They start but, lowering the price in front of you. Of course, even when you talk about like like when you're online uh, or not online, when you're talking to your phone company. Yeah. Obviously, telecoms are the worst, but there's so many internet provider, whatever it is, like a car or your interest rates or whatever you have at the bank, like. Yeah, if you if you just leave it to that, inevitably they're trained so that they have to. They can't just leave the conversation. They mm-hmm. can't just be like, nope, hang up the phone. They have to leave with essentially like, is there anything else we can do? And or they can't say no. They have to say something else. So right. there's usually there's usually something you can you can get. And as long you're if you're not unreasonable, if you're like, my phone bill will be zero dollars forever or I'm leaving. They'll be like, okay. I've tried <laughs> that. I do shit like that. Which is uh, which is fine. But I'm think, like, I'm leaving. Can I talk to a manager? And then, the, <laughs> and then I get to the manager and go, I'm leaving. Is there someone more important than you? Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. But I do yeah. think inevitably, and I've had so many of those kinds of situations, especially with phone companies, that um that it does get better the more time you just take up their time like airlines are very similar there's a lot yeah. of those kind of large companies where it's like the bottom line is if you unfortunately if you make enough of an issue then they're they're going to help you out yeah it's true as um, they should yes <laughs> yes we are upset at all airlines except for air canada <laughs> and telecom companies and awful except for rogers thank you so <laughs> no, no, much no. for sponsoring <laughs> no, this podcast no, no, no. rogers um okay um i find that surprising though that yeah you would say that i have um i'm actually terrible at haggling and mm-hmm. negotiating 
in this in the way that you are good at it like Liz and I I remember we went to Italy um oh yeah these as, two are really good friends. yeah yeah let's <laughs> just friends for a really that. long time but we went to Italy together uh a while ago and like because there was the market where you could like oh, yeah. you could haggle and negotiate like for you know cheaper t-shirts I, I feel like we were buying a t-shirt that said Ciao Bella oh, or something. Yeah. A lot of ciao t-shirts. Um, but like I would just come in so hot, like I would just be like, uh, four dollars, and they would be so offended that they would just basically shut down their whole stall. And Liz, Liz is so good at just like like calmly negotiating in terms of like customer interactions. I'm good at at, at standing up for what I what I think I deserve especially when I know I deserve it like in the in the case of yeah. a chow bella t-shirt for four dollars I know that I don't deserve <laughs> that so I don't come in with much like I don't have much to offer that situation except my like wild emotions <laughs> and I'm actually no better at that now than I than I ever was but I am good at um sort of not taking no for an answer especially when it comes to things with the howling company or with um, yes, I forgot producing. to mention that. Um, what do you do with the theater company, the Howland Company? Yeah, I well, I started the Howland Company a couple years ago with a bunch of friends, um, and we do plays and we do uh, we do all kinds of things. But one of the things I do is I apply for our grants and I've balanced our budgets for a while, um, and I do find in that world and also like in terms of um, negotiating contracts for work that. I get and my agent does a great job with that too but um when when I'm I'm good at like looking at the landscape and seeing what is getting funded mm -hmm. and then coming up with a very strong argument as to why what I'm putting out there should get funding so I'm good with money and that I'm good at getting money and you're good at getting people to believe in your business that's ideas. right yeah yeah it's good and it's good business I mean Ruth successfully got one it was one of the largest yeah, grants. the largest Canada Arts Council for the grants, Wolves, which was a massive for show. for an independent theater company. But wow, yeah. which is huge. Yeah, it's exciting. It was amazing. Um, just uh, changing gears. So, I think in life there's different things people, uh, different altars that we worship. So some people worship at the altar of sex. Some people money or power. Mm. Um. People get really um, weird about money. Either they're very fear-based or they just covet it. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you have a relationship with money that is healthy or fear-based? Based on like childhood and yeah, earlier life? I think I think like relationship to money is always going to be so much of what your experience of it was growing up. And also though, I think uh, we kind of touched on it earlier, like the way that we're taught to engage with our own money is problematic in itself. Like there's no real classes. Do you mean women or just all people? People, in people, this society? people everywhere, everywhere yeah. probably, but certainly in Canada and in this province and city, we don't, we aren't taught how to invest. We're not taught what, ta how to do our taxes. You know, mm. we're not taught how 
to write things off for our taxes. We're not taught about uh, like what a GIC is. We're not taught about what an RSP at any early level. Yeah. Really, there's no kind of educate, which is intentional, of course. There's one like health class thing in high school, but if you if you get sick <laughs> for a week, then that's that. Yeah. But I do find as I've gotten older, there's. I mean, I I so value um, my upbringing. My mom was always so kind of open and strong in her opinions about kind of, you know, being independent and making sure you know where your money is and no one else is in charge and that's yours and you need to, you know, know what's coming in. All like very specific, detail oriented um, kind of knowledge about that, which I've so valued in my life because otherwise I'm sure I would have kind of been like, "Ah, there's something in the old. So are you frugal? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm frugal, but I would say that I am always aware of how much I have how much is in savings, how much is not, how much I should or shouldn't, and which is not to say that I'm I'm great with it. Like if I break the rules, I break the rules, but I do that knowing what I'm doing. Ruth, Mm -hmm. are you um, impulsive or stingy? Uh, I'm both in for different things, but I do. It's hard to as an actor because we our flow in of money. And even before when I was waitressing, like, the flow of money was so, is so inconsistent. And, like, you know, for nine months of the year, you can make nothing. And then for two months of the year, you can make, you know, thousands of dollars all at once, right? So yeah. it it's hard. I'm very aware that I don't have a steady or, like, a steady income and like that what I make this year is not going to be what I make next year like I'm that really freaks me out a lot so I'm very aware of that and I think because of that I get uh I get pretty protective of it at times but then like you know do you like I don't know if you're like me Mm -hmm. I'm bad like I'll be poor for a long time pay off a bunch of debt suddenly with a commercial or something and then I'll be like a big dinner let's buy everyone dinner like i i get really stupid like yeah i like to celebrate i love indulging i know i like that too i like and it's it's hard you say dinner it's hard for me to know if that's stupid though like because it's it's, not i don't know i i i I go back and forth between i think everything in moderation but i do think like being too um like staying home and and not celebrating the wins when you have them in that way like is kind of where's the fun in that yeah and also kind of sharing in it like uh you know you you say dinner like I've had that too where I'll go out with a friend and we'll just treat ourselves or treat each other or or I host dinners here um monthly with my good friend Hans hello Hans um and he does he does all the cooking and he's incredible and I go out and buy a bunch of wine and it's just super fun and it feels like a bit of an indulgence but it's also like community building and it's with friends it's different people every time it's a really mm-hmm. lovely and I love doing that and I like going out to a dinner where it's like this is extravagant but I'm here with my friends this is an experience it's the same thing as you know whether it's travel or sporting events or you know like <clears throat> like buying yourself something material like there are people spend money in different ways or they treat themselves in different ways mm-hmm. I don't think I actually buy that much stuff Right. But I do like, you like experiences. experiences a lot. You know, I think just turning 30 recently has gotten me a little weird and scared about money. Mm-hmm. I've suddenly 
become very aware of the fact like, oh, there's things I want in the future that I am in no way close to right now. Mm -hmm. And unless some really big acting miracles happen, Mm -hmm. like, oh shit, what am I going to do? Yeah. You know what I was thinking? I was like, I know I'd like to one day have a child, but I want to do it like 40. Like I want to be a lot older. Then I went, the other day I was walking down the street and I went, oh, what if there's no guy in the picture? Oh, yeah. What if I have to do it on my own? I have no money. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a ways away now, but yeah. like oh I, shit. Yeah. You could have I don't know, however my x amount saved in your bank account and maybe somehow you have a home, which is seemingly more and more impossible, but like maybe you do and that's great, but who knows if that'll be the right time for a myriad of other reasons, right? Yes. So I think like Money is certainly a part of it, but when you talk about kind of what altar do you worship at, I don't think, uh, not that to have one thing is any, is is healthy, but I think nobody should just only be focused on money as what will solve everyone's problems. It solves a lot of problems. It would be foolish to say it doesn't. It certainly makes life easier. Absolutely. It's it's certainly a a huge boon, but it's, you could be very wealthy or whatever and still not be in the right place to have a child. Hey, you can be wealthy and miserable. I worked in Yorkville. I can tell you. <laughs> True. Every person that walked, I got yelled at by so many people in fur coats. Where, where did you work? I worked at uh, a wine store oh. in Yorkville, and oh yeah, oh yeah, That's I a saw steak in the first place. Yeah. rich people all the time, and yeah. they were so unhappy. Yeah. And I was just like, this doesn't cure anything. No, no. Yes. But yeah, I don't. I mean, I managed a, a bookstore for a long time. I just, I just left my job this spring. Oh. I miss it a lot. But uh, t- it was to that earlier point. It was like it was my steady income. It was my, it was the way I kind of maintained my life forever. And I love that store. It was called Mabel's Fables Bookstore. It's the best place in the world. <laughs> you should go there. Why did you leave? This sounds like more and more upsetting. Know, the more you keep saying this. Well, I, I, it got to the point where I was managing this. I worked there for. Five Oh my gosh, five, four years and then I became the manager for the last kind of year and a half that I was there. And it just, which I was willing to do because I wanted to kind of help out and I really liked the position. I like I like managing a business. It's really an interesting, obviously amazing thing to get to do too. And I I feel like I feel fulfilled in doing something like that, but it just became untenable with performing. Because whether it was, you know, running off to auditions or doing shows at night and then having to be there in the morning and not just be there in the morning, but actually, you know, be the decision maker and all that kind of stuff. I just couldn't do it. And I knew going into the position that I was going to, it wasn't going to be long term. I was going to make sure I wanted to be there to transition someone else. And there's an amazing manager there now. Um, But I just, uh, yeah, I just kind of couldn't couldn't maintain it well and that's that's the thing about the you know the dinners and trips and stuff and experiences like Liz was completely burnt out like you like Liz was working all day then doing like two shows a night and auditioning and then it's like and anytime I've had like any like sum of money it's because I've worked so hard like you know we're not in an industry that we sit at a desk and you know, some of us are falling through the cracks at work and we're just there and getting paid and on benefits. Like whenever we can have money in our hands, even if it's like one day of a commercial, like that one day of a commercial represents like nine months of auditioning and like, Mm -hmm. like bending over your life. So when I have money, I, 
it's also not sustainable for me to continue living like this if I don't get to celebrate with like some sort of break, yeah. some sort of dinner, some sort of social thing, some sort of trip. Like mm-hmm. then, then, then my job is also unsustainable. So I find that the, it's necessary in that way. And you that's, need it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys. <laughs> oh, I know the reason I brought up Mabel's in the first place. It was kind of a roundabout way of talking about it, but just because you were talking about Yorkville, but a lot of the clientele at Mabel's is is quite wealthy as well, mm-hmm. um, and many not like it does. But it but it, the neighborhood that it's in, it, uh, we get a lot of kind of wealthy clientele. But it was so interesting because you could tell the kid. We saw kids all the time, and we saw parents all the time um, from different backgrounds for sure many many different but it was so fun because the best part about it was that everybody was there was on the same level which was just loving to read and that was the best thing just going back to what we were talking about earlier was like the parents who seemed the happiest and the kids who seemed the happiest were the ones that were actually engaging with their parents about like oh I want to read this remember I told you about blah yes I loved blah like Mm -hmm. actually engaged with their kids and it didn't matter at what kind of socioeconomic level they were they all had the Mm -hmm. same kind of experience of that which was really nice Whereas, of course it is a huge privilege to be able to buy a new book which is massive true. but just kind of the experience of like oh books were so much more important to these kids than anything else so it's the same and it's the same thing all yeah. of these kids too would have had have burnt out library cards because they're going and taking out tons and tons of series of books and the parents are like no you can have one book you know because you graduated grade six or whatever and then the rest is the library, but it was so And for nice. those wealthy people in Yorkville, wine was their passion. You're right. You're right. You're right. And, You're right. and they, was their passion. And that's just why they had, were unhappy. Yes, exactly. we're so upset. I, if I remember correctly, they're they're upset because you don't have Prosecco. Oh my God. I heard that so many times. No. <laughs> just order Prosecco, Lindsay. What's oh. up? <laughs> You're right. You're right, Ruth. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> you uh thank you guys for being on the podcast i really appreciate it um i want you to promo your shit whether that be your social media or your shows your your company the howland company what do they have coming up they have a show in january called casimir and caroline coming up it's at the crows uh crows street car it's like crows theater crows Crow's nest crows nest Crow's Nest Theater. It's in the East End. Yeah, I love that place. It's amazing. It's an amazing show. Okay. I'm going tomorrow. I am... Yes, good. I have a few shows. You already mentioned one of them. Hook Up. We do every Saturday night at 9.30 at the Bad Dog Theater, 875 Mm -hmm. Bloor Street West. Uh, And then I'm uh, going to be directing a show there in the new year called Roses and Thorns uh, uh, in conjunction with Anne Purnell and Nadine Jory. So it's going to be a really amazing show. Ooh, that's going to be good. Okay, guys. Thanks for being on the show. I am sitting with Romton Paydar. Hey. Howdy. Howdy. Sup. Sup. Romton is my local bank teller. Like you're at the bank and I, I go in and I deposit checks and I look disheveled and you help me with my money and you're so charming and you're also a musician. Yeah. 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 That's exactly it. Thank yeah. you, by the way. Yes. Half the time I feel like I look disheveled when I'm at the bank too, helping out other folks that are also like looking disheveled. But at the same time, it's like we're all disheveled together. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. Matters, right? And you know what? You're um, you're you're an interesting bank teller because most bank tellers are very formal, but you take this the right way. The way you speak in your lingo, you often sound like you're surfing on a wave. 
<laughs> That's, you're not wrong about you sound that. Sound like actually. you're on a surfboard. Uh, you call me homie a lot. That's ex- that is those I've are facts. Never had a bank teller call me homie. That's that's what it's about. When you meet like other folks, like in like like a realm where most people are like usually like hella uncomfortable. Like the last thing you want to do is go ahead and like poise like some sort of like like I guess like inauthenticity by keeping yourself um, from res- restraining yourself from being able to be like yeah. um, like set like what to do like how's it going play like what's up instead of just like <laughs> like I'd rather like speak like that than be like hi how are you. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Don't, don't, don't block the impulses. Exactly. Help the impulses. Okay. So you're a very authentic bank teller. I love it. Um, and I'm doing an episode on money. Mm-hmm. And I was actually looking for a guest for the show. And I was at the bank even thinking in lineup, who will I have on this show? And then I get to the till. I see you. And we just start having a real in-depth talk, as if there was no line behind me, about... <laughs> Um, your job at the bank and how you've been there how many years? Uh, five years at this point, yeah. Yeah, and that you every day interact with people with something that a lot of people find very personal, their finances. Yep. And, um, you know, you must see the same people a lot. Yep, that a is. Lo- yeah, you must have developed a relationship with many customers. Mm-hmm. And I imagine since you're seeing very private information, people's mm-hmm. finances, that you, you've you noticed trends yeah. in personality maybe or the way people are if they are flush with cash or not flush with cash. Yeah. What, what observations have you made that we would not know about mm-hmm. if we didn't work at a bank? A lot of folks that like usually come into like the bank that like when when you like actually like look at like not even look but like help out somebody that like you could tell from like the very first moment you started meeting them they started asking they started asking you about like um, how to like save properly how to actually go ahead and like uh, set themselves up so that in like the next like two to three years give or take they could actually like purchase like a car potentially purchase a home purchase potentially purchase like all the necessities that everybody like either like like glances over and just like forgets like hey maybe just maybe we should actually go in and set a little bit of money aside for these things so that we can actually build like a foundation for our future and whatnot right right and the thing is that like a lot of folks that like come in that aren't like making a lot they're the ones that are either like usually just like setting like as much of their money aside as humanly possible or they're the ones that are like they just get a check and then they just spend it like immediately. Do you find that most people are bad savers? Like generally speaking, most human beings? It really depends on like the thing I've noticed and like, like again, talking to like a lot of folks like over the years, like like you can tell there's a huge difference between like one person that will go ahead and like um, like live um, live with like parents and like other friends and family that like were just so like used to having money around and so used to like being able to just like spend it immediately that they would essentially go ahead and like lose um, all like all focus and all attention on like their future and whatnot so sometimes so there are some folks that like come in that like are actually pretty good at saving due to that fact but there's also a lot of folks that come in where like um like where like they never like really spent much of their money like growing up and whatnot and then like 
when they get into like college or university or something like that, that's where they start like balling out and like make like Jim Jones, we fly high and start like balling out 24 seven, like making it rain all over the place. And then after they do that for a while, they realize, oh shucks, my student line of credit is all the way like maxed out now. I am screwed. Right. Um, (laughs) So, so would you say that there's a correlation between how much money someone has in their bank account and how they treat you? Yes and no. Yes in that like um like there's been a lot of times where like um say like you you meet somebody that like doesn't really have like a lot like a lot like saved up but what they don't have saved up in like finances is what they have saved up in terms of being like uh humble, empathetic and like very like um like sympathetic and even patient to a degree. You think a lot um, of people who are less wealthy tend to be nicer? For the, mo- for the most part, but there's also like a lot of folks I've met over the years who are like just like like retired, for example, but like they have like the time and the um, the patience to be able to have like a real uh, conversation and actually showcase that sign of empathy as well. Because most folks that are like retired, like they they've seen just about anything and everything that could happen in like in like one's lifetime. So they're like, yo, we're not gonna go in and stress out if it's taking you like like two or three minutes to go in and get a twenty dollar bill or something. Not right. that that's ever actually happened, but like, but right, you know sure. what I'm saying, right? Uh, yeah. And um, what? What has uh, working with money at a bank, what has that done for your beliefs or your perceptions around money? It's like the most evil instrument to ever grace the planet. Money. Yep. Wow. Okay. Expand on that. So the thing that like I've noticed like with a lot of folks like, like both out like in the bank and outside of the bank is just like how much like people are like so focused on trying to get like that instant bag of like 100k or that instant bag of like 500k and people start to look at like um people will believe that like they can basically just like sit down and like not uh do like as much work as like they believe they need to go in and do to go ahead and get that bag so most folks for example like um they'll go ahead and just like work like one job They'll complain about that job 24-7. They'll talk about all the things they need to go and pay off for and things like that. But at the same time, it's like they're not putting in that effort or that work to go ahead and get that cash. And due to the fact that, like, especially in the economy that, like, we're living in, like, nowadays within, like, Ontario alone, like, the amount of folks that are, like, like desperately hounding for cash 24-7, like, it'll turn, like... Like, I've seen a lot of folks, like, personally, like, go from being, like, very just, like, like down to earth and, like, pleasant and being like some of like my favorite people to be around to them getting so like like engrossed in like trying to make like a capital or something like that like you think there's a real fixation on money yeah a lot of people like I, i believe a lot of folks like fantasize about like the the well like basically like the party that like is at the very end of like their journey when they haven't even taken the steps to actually get to that party so my final question for you, Romton, is uh, is there anything, like an interesting fact that you would know from working at the bank that the average person might find interesting? Hmm. Well, one thing that I've like noticed for being, being at the place that I've been at for five years now, like that I've personally noticed, is the trend on how people perceive like us. Like... Yeah. Like people that like work inside of a bank or outside of a bank, like we all get 
we all get treated like completely differently like when we like are outside of the bank versus inside so for example like you'll have like um like i've been seeing like most of like the clients like that have been coming in there for the past five years like um like grow over over time like i've seen like kids like become teens and then teens became like young adults like so i've seen like well, yeah. like all the voice cracks and everything you know what i mean like i've seen a lot of those and I've you seen... must run into them out in public yeah and there are times when like i've even like there's been times when like i go out to like parties or i go out to shows and like people just see me they're like wait you're my bank teller what the hell are you doing at this party <laughs> like why is everybody turning up right now and you're here too pause hang on what and like they just immediately assume i'm just there just to talk about finances when in reality dude i'm just chilling yeah i just like chilling. like this like it's a weird having my bank teller sit on my couch right now <laughs> i've never seen your legs before i have these and they they run on like um like diesel gasoline and just a <laughs> lot talking about your legs right now yes yes That's so it. it's weird walking out the world and then people recognize you mm -hmm. but it's usually probably a positive thing right thankfully it is a positive thing most of the folks that like um that like i see around they're all really just like oh shit dude yo what to do what's up like what are you doing at my bar and it's like i'm just like hanging out with like a couple of other homies catching up and then they're like like sometimes people will just like link you up randomly with like food like, what? Really? Yeah, dude. Like, the, like you feel like a local celebrity. There's kind of in a, in a way. Yeah. Like, and it's like really like humbling to be able to just like be myself and in turn to have that work out like um, in a favor where it leads into like everybody becoming like, um, like, I guess, like selfishly selfless with yeah. being like very like welcoming but and you're understanding. You're being rewarded for being your true self as opposed to being some false person working at a job yep. you're literally being you and people treat you nice for that yeah thank you so much for being on this show you were wonderful i loved hearing about what it's actually like at the bank and uh you're my favorite bank teller that i've ever had thanks Lizzie. so uh thanks for being on my show yeah this has been one of like the chillest interviews i've been to in a really long time so Lindsay, like thank you very much for no this. no worries bye 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 Alrighty, folks, we've reached the end of another episode of Truce Be Told, the podcast, the episode all about money. Yes. In the intro, I mentioned that I do not have a Patreon account. That is true. But I neglected to mention that there are other ways you can support or donate to me so that I can continue to make art art such as Truth Be Told, the podcast. You see, um, I am kept afloat financially um, by my artistic projects. So even if you are donating to a different show I'm creating, that money all goes back into creating more Truth Be Told. So perhaps you listen to this show on a regular basis and you're like, wow, I listen to this content she creates. I hate that word, but it's content. Uh, I listen to it. I enjoy it. I'd like to give a little something back. Christmas is coming. I'm no Ebenezer Scrooge. So I'd like to contribute to uh, Lindsay's projects. Well, you can. All right. So um, my burlesque variety show, Tease, which will be at the Next Stage Theater Festival in January 2020. We open on January 9th. Um, it will have 
a Indiegogo campaign very soon. It will be up and running soon. You could, of course, if you're in Toronto, uh, buy a ticket to Tease and see it at Factory Theatre in January. That would be amazing. Or you could just uh, contribute to our Indiegogo. And next episode, I'm going to give all the details about that Indiegogo and how you can contribute if you feel so inclined. Um, like I said, uh, that money helps me make projects like Truce Be Told. And anything you're willing to give would just brighten my day. And as much as I'd like to think that love makes the world go round, sometimes, sometimes we, uh, we must rely on money. Oh, and in the intro, I also mentioned that SkylarInDallas.com is where you can reach out to Skylar if you want some graphic design done. And I mentioned, you know, that he did a freebie for me, but don't expect a freebie from him, you know, pay the artist, uh, go to him and hire him, pay him money to make some great work for you. Pay him. Okay, let's do some thank yous. Some thank yous to people who made this show possible, starting with my guests. I'd like to thank Ken Hall, Liz Johnston, Ruth Goodwin, and Rompton Paydar. Thank you for being on the show, you guys. You were great. Thank you to Trevor Pullman. He's a wonderful editor. I love working with him. He's fantastic. Thank you to Catherine Folkler for doing the photography for the podcast. Thank you for Kurt Furla for doing the graphic design on the Truth Be Told logo. Thank you to Matthew Reed for the music you hear on this podcast. Thank you to Cody Crane and Michael Mangiardi at the Sonar Network. You guys uh, produce a lot of amazing Toronto podcasts, including Truth Be Told, and I appreciate you like a lot. I appreciate you a lot. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, guys. I'm at Linzomello. That's L-I-N-D-S-O-M-U-L-L-O or www.lindsaymullen.com. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, take care of each other. Uh, stay warm in the cold weather and uh, stay tuned for another episode of Truth Be Told. Bye-bye. has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.